music. Amen. You know, it's, it's amazing to be able to sing God's praise. And can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Every nation, tribe, and tongue throughout the eons of time singing His praises. It's going to be pretty exciting. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to singing with people that we haven't met yet. So uh, heaven is going to be amazing in many aspects. As one, we get to see Jesus and, you know, fall at His feet and worship but also, can you imagine all the exciting people you get to meet? Oh, the people you meet and the places you go. It's going to be really exciting. We want to welcome you to Arden first. We're going to be um, picking up in Ephesians 5. For those of you just joining us, we are studying Ephesians verse by verse through the whole book. So I was talking to someone recently this week, and they're like, um, you know, I was asking them what, what they want in a church, and they said, one thing I want is a church that doesn't water it down. And I'm like, well... Since we go verse by verse, we can't water it down. We just take whatever topic's given to us. And it's kind of like this. Uh, in this congregation, we have several doctors and people in the medical field. And um, if one of us would go and get a checkup, you'd want to know the, the real news, right? You wouldn't want to get something sugar-coated. If you had a major health issue, you want to hear it, right? So that's what we try to do here, Arden, is just give you the truth in love. And as God applies it to our lives, he uh, brings about change in and through our lives. Amen. So today's topic is about how to walk in love, walking in love. And it's interesting, I've never heard this before until this week, but I was doing some research and I found, did you know that people cannot walk in a straight line? Anybody ever tried it? They've done about 100 years of research on this very topic. And NPR News recently released an update on this uh, research and What's interesting, they would blindfold people and they would tell them to walk in a straight line. And some tests, they even had them walk for a straight hour. Can you imagine walking for an hour? And all the people who were blindfolded thought they were walking a straight line, but every single one of them failed the test. And their conclusion was, in the human nature, the human race, we think we're walking straight, but we end up going off track. And in their conclusion, and this wasn't anything spiritual, it was just you know, scientific study. In their conclusion, they said the only way they found that people can walk in a straight line is if you fix your eyes on something ahead, like an object, like a mountain, um, a building. That's the only way humans can walk straight. Otherwise, we all walk crooked. And, you know, the research verifies what the Bible has told us all along, that we were created to walk in a straight line, but because the fall of humanity in Genesis 3, we all tend to veer off the path. So Paul is going to talk to the church of Ephesus and to the church of Arden first. And he's going to tell us God's whole intent is love. In fact, what is it, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And we all think, everyone, even the world will tell you God is love. But do you really know what love truly is? A lot of times in the world we fall for counterfeits. So today, Paul's going to take us through the text and he's going to tell us what love is and does. And then he's going to tell us some counterfeits of what, here's what the world says is love, but it's really not. So you guys ready to jump in the text? All right, Ephesians 5, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And notice verse 3. Here's the counterfeits of love. But 
fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be a named among you as is fitting for saints. Now, for those of you who have the old King James, you've heard the phrase, not even a hint. So, you know, it shouldn't even be brought up. And then he says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Sounds like some of you, your workplace environments, right? You're like, yep, I need to give this to my boss. Verse 5, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let us pray. Father, your word is powerful. And sometimes when we hear your word, sometimes we're encouraged. Sometimes we're convicted. But God, our heart is that we will leave change and transform. And God, wherever we're at in the scripture, that you would take us to a step closer to you. And Father, I pray that this would just be an encouraging time as we look into your word and that we would see what love is and does and that we would also see the counterfeits that the world tries to offer us. And as Paul warned the church of Ephesus, help us not to be deceived by the words and the, the, the ideas of the world that would lead us astray from what is true love. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about walking in love, and next week, just a preview, we're going to talk about walking in light. So first of all, if you'll take out your listening guide, we walk in love by, number one, model love by the way I live. I model love by the way I live. Notice verse one, it says, be imitators of God as dear children. Now most of you know we have four children, and what's interesting about our kids is we found out they copy a lot about what we do. And sometimes it's scary. This morning, for instance, uh, Lori said, you know what Gabriel said the first thing he woke up? Gabriel's just two now, but he said, I want coffee in my sippy cup. <laughs> so it's like, wow. So my two-year-old is now asking for coffee in his sippy cup, which we did not give it to him. But we've noticed expressions, sayings. Uh, sometimes we'll see the girls correcting their baby dolls and saying, Mama said not to do that. And I'm like, where are they hearing this from? So your children imitate you in so much, which can be scary in certain things like, wow, mannerism, gestures, words. But on a positive note, when we imitate our Heavenly Father, you can't go wrong there. Um, so what the Bible says is, as dear children, imitate God. So what we need to do is find out what God is truly like. And a lot of times we say, you know, I, I, I love Jesus, I want to follow him, but we really don't know what he's like if we don't read his word or study him. It'd be like me telling my wife, I love you, but I don't want to ever have a conversation with you more than 10 minutes. I don't want to ever have heart to heart because guys just aren't into that. Ladies, how would you respond to that? Survey says, and well, in the same way, if we say I love God and want to follow him, we have to get to know him. And Dr. Henry Blackaby says in Experiencing God, there's basically four major ways we hear from God. The first one is obviously through the Bible. The second way is through prayer. The third way is through circumstances. God can speak through what you're going through. And then the fourth way is through other people. Did you know that God will often use other people to be his voice? We are the body of Christ and God speaks through the body of Christ. So Paul says, as dearly loved children, you need to imitate God. Aren't you glad that God not only loves you, but he likes you? You're his child. And the amazing thing about that is if he's for you, 
who can be against you if God is encouraging you? So he's saying imitate God as dearly loved children. Number two, here's how to walk in love. I do it by this. Number two, I live a life of love because of how much Christ loved us. So continuing the theme of what love is and what love does, he says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and sent his son as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So the idea of walking in love is every step you take, every word you say should be seasoned and flavored with Christian love. Now, I've heard a lot, as a pastor, I've heard a lot of people say, I would go to church, but the church is full of. But you know, that, that's, that's kind of a true statement because none of us are perfect. But if you have that logic, I would ch- challenge you to be consistent throughout your life. If you don't go somewhere because of hypocrites, you can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to the gym. You can't go anywhere because the, the definition of a hypocrite is what you know and what you do. There's a discrepancy. And because none of us are perfect, there's always going to be a discrepancy until Jesus makes us perfect. And everyone said, ouch, right? So he says, walk in love. Now, what is the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us? Love God, love people, right? With, with everything you have. So you could say, love God, love people. And the sacrificial aspect, Jesus says, as I loved you, you're to love one another. Now, this church should be packed out. And need multiple services if all of us loved each other the way Jesus loved each other. The way Jesus loved us was sacrificial. He was willing to lay down his life. And people are hungry um, for that kind of love. That's why people go to bars on Saturday night. That's why people go to clubs. Because they're searching for love, sometimes in all the wrong places, right? The church should be a place of love. Can I get a uh-huh? So... Our mission at Arden First is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. And how we do that, um, if you look at our logo, it's kind of a circle. There's a process. And we do it through belonging, believing, and becoming. So on your listening guide, it says it like this. When we belong, we feel the love. When we believe, we receive the love. But when we become, we live the love. So the whole process is, it's great to feel the love and it's great to receive it. But eventually we should live it. And that's what Paul is telling the church of Ephesus. Walk in love. The idea of walk is your day-by-day, everyday lifestyle. So, speaking of which, during the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, who was the Lord Protector of England. uh, This is not his picture, by the way. This is a picture of a couple. uh, During that time period, Oliver didn't look that good. Let's just put it that way. But uh, Oliver Cromwell... um, he was very strict, for those of you who remember studying um, history and Western Civ and things like that. He was very strict. So he had a curfew. And if you violated the curfew, there was punishment. And also, if you committed crimes, you could be executed in that day and time. So there was a soldier who had committed crimes, and Oliver Cromwell decided that when the bell rang at night, the curfew, he was going to be executed. So whenever the the curfew began to happen and they began to ring the bell, nothing happened. The bell didn't ring. And they're like, is the bell broken? What's going on? So they they did an investigation. They looked up into the bell tower and they saw a woman holding the clapper of the bell and she would not let go. And they finally got her down and they're like, what's going on? And her hands were bleeding and she was bruised. And they had found out that she was the fiance of the soldier who was supposed to die. 
So they brought her before Oliver Cromwell and said, you know, why did you do this? You know, you, you could be executed as well. And she, she showed Cromwell her hands that were bleeding and bruised. And she showed the places where her body had clung up against the outside of the bell. And Oliver Cromwell said, because of your love and your sacrifice, you both go free. And there's no curfew tonight. And I think that is a picture of the love we should have for each other that we're willing to lay down our lives no matter what. So live a life of love because of how much Christ loved us. So number three, and this is kind of the, the counterfeits, and uh, I was joking with someone earlier, I said, message may be a little heated today because that's just the text. But we, we tell you the truth and tell it in love. But did you know the world is full of counterfeits? How many of you ladies have ever bought a purse that was supposed to be Prada or Gucci and you found out it was a knockoff? Anybody? All right. Some of you are not raising your hands, but it's there. And some of you who like to flea market, uh, resell, um, you know, you, you can buy something. Man, this is a dollar and it's a knockoff. Um, I, I know one person, they had bought a Rolex watch and it had the number. It was supposed to be authenticated and it was a fake. And they had lost a ton of money on this Rolex watch. So the world is full of counterfeits. And when it comes to love, Satan tries to counterfeit love. So we're going to talk about a few of those. Um, look, look at verse 3 and 4. It says, but fornication, and we don't really use that word a lot anymore, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So how many of us know that God is a God of love? I think we all would agree with that. The problem is we live in a world where a lot of times love is presented as some distortion. The good news is with God, there's no 50 shades of gray. With God, everything's pretty black and white. The problem is, as Christians, we tend to go along with the culture, whatever is culturally relevant versus what is biblically correct. I once heard a statement about 10 years ago. It stuck with me. And he says, when it comes to theology, if it's new, it ain't true. If it's new, it ain't true. Truth you cannot invent. You can only discover because God is the God of truth. So if I come up with some new teaching or new way to be Christian, if it's new, it ain't true. So the danger is, if you're a student of history and you study how the church throughout the past 2,000 years have gone into ruts because of culture, it's because they went after what was new or what the culture thought was, was right and relevant. So let's, let's look at the difference before we break down the text here. I want to draw a distinction between love and lust. Love is agape, God's love for us, and lust is the devil's counterfeit for it. If you look at your listening guide, I drew a few distinctions. The first one is this, love gives, but lust takes. You know, the thing about love is love cannot wait to give and lust cannot wait to get. Sounds like some of the shows we see on TV, right? Love makes one bitter, but lust, excuse me, love makes one better, but lust makes one bitter. And if you've ever been in a relationship, friendship or whatever, with someone that was all about themselves and you gave of yourself and they weren't willing to give, you were not better, but you were bitter after that. Easily happens. Love makes you feel alive, but lust leaves you feeling dead. You feel empty. You feel used. Love makes you feel full, 
but lust makes you feel empty as you long for more. Love reflects God's character, but lust reflects Lucifer and his desire to take. If you study the whole story about Lucifer, his, his whole goal was to take. I want to be above God. I, I want to I take and I want to be the man. And it's connected with pride. Love makes you a winner, but lust makes you a loser. So let's break down some of these words. And let's look at what Paul was trying to tell the church of Ephesus. And let's see if there's any cultural relevance there today. It's funny how the Bible was written, you know, several thousand years ago. And it's so relevant to our culture today. So Paul gives us three love killers, if you will. Three things to avoid. The first one is all sexual immorality. He uses the word fornication. And this is a topic you don't hear much about in church, but I think it's relevant. Basically, what Paul is trying to say is anything outside the bonds of marriage between a husband and a wife, don't go after it. And in a world that teaches 50 shades of gray, people are so confused. Like, well, how do you know? As a youth pastor, um, and Adam can testify this, you often hear the question, well, how far is too far? Right. And you hear those questions. Well, the interesting thing is, if, if you look at the word uh, for fornication here, it's the word pornea. It's where we get our word pornography from. So basically, Paul says anything illicit outside the bonds of marriage is not going to help you. And here's the thing about the Bible. This will really encourage you as we look through this list and we're like, ouch, because our culture is so after this, is whenever God says not to do something, it's not because he's a cosmic killjoy and wants to take away your fun. The thing about it is God is actually pro-intimacy. Did you realize that? He actually invented it. So he's pro. The problem is is Satan throws out counterfeits and you go after the counterfeit and it's just like eating cotton candy. It tastes good for a while, but then it leaves you feeling upset stomach, bitter, depressed. And that's the way it is. And when God says stay away from something, he's doing it because he loves you and he doesn't want you to get hurt. There's a reason why Lori and I don't let our kids run in the road pretty obvious right we don't want them to get hit so when the bible lays out you know do this or stay away from it's not because god's trying to take your fun he's pro fun but he's pro fun in the right context and the way he designed it so he says avoid it now a little cultural background is uh, in this day and time there was a temple to the goddess of love and beauty diana also known as aphrodite and it was kind of a messed up system in this day did you know that going to church in the temple meant committing illicit acts. So Paul was writing to a culture not far removed from our own. Not that people go to church to do that, but in the world and the culture, it's everywhere prevalent. So think about the original Adam and Eve, if you go back. Go back to the original design. If you look at the text, they had companionship. Can you imagine the perfect couple never having a fight? Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Some of the newlyweds in here are like, yeah, I... Just the first year of marriage, you will have conflict. It, right, Lori? We'd, it was all my fault, I confess. But you do. Um, the second is intimacy. They both were naked. They had no shame. Now, intimacy is being fully vulnerable and having no shame. That's the way God intended it. So Satan, when he throws that lust, it's meant to make you vulnerable and afraid. And God, the reason why he lays out boundaries is not to restrict you is to give you the fullest satisfaction possible because he designed it. Also, purpose. You notice in the original couple, Adam was tending the garden, naming the animals. God provided Eve right beside, right by his side, and 
she was helping, and it was just such a great relationship. Then all of a sudden, Genesis 3 happens, and from then on, we've all walked a crooked line. So, according to recent research, the Kaiser Family Foundation, this is interesting, and you wonder how Christian views have changed throughout uh, time where we have different views on sexuality than we used to. I'll give you one big explanation, the television. I don't have to ask you how many of us have television. We all, most of us do, 99% of us. But if you look at the general hour on the, the top TV shows, 70% of them include some sexual content. And the average hour, if you're watching a television show, it has at least five illicit scenes per hour. So if you're like the average American, you watch a few hours, you've seen maybe 15, 20 scenes a day. And you wonder why your opinion has changed. Okay, let's take teenagers. We think that teenagers don't think about this. Wrong. You were a teenager one day. The average teenage show has about seven illicit scenes per hour. So you think about it. Our, our culture has really changed. So one of, the, one of the things pastors get asked a lot is what about living together before you're married? I mean, it's prevalent in the culture. Barna did some research on this, and I'll show one graph. The average American, this is Christian, non-Christian combined, 65% of Americans say it's okay. Only 35% disagree in America. Now, let's narrow it down to Christians. This may shock some of you. Professing Christians, 4 out of 10 say it's okay before marriage. And only 6 out of 10 say it's wrong. So... When we wonder if we've been influenced by media, there's, there's the answer right there. So the reason why Paul says avoid it is he knows it's going to be harmful. And the way God designed love is it should always add to you. It should never take away from you. So, ladies, can you remember when you were young and dating and you had a, a guy that said, if you love me, you will? You know, he didn't know what love really was because love never takes. Love always gives. Amen. The second word Paul uses a love killer is uncleanness. And basically it's talking about that which is against God's holy character. So when the people bring up the 50 shades of gray, well, how far is too far? And I'm dating. What's acceptable? This word unclean, easy way to describe is like this. If you can't do it with your parents in the room with you, you probably shouldn't do it. (laughs) So let me give you a personal story. And I, I have to run these by Lori a lot of times before because I share a lot of things I've messed up, things, whatever. But when Lori and I were dating, uh, we were passionately in love and still are. And we each had our own place. Um, she, she had an apartment. I had a condo. We both lived close to each other. And um, whenever we got engaged, whenever you get engaged, the temptation spikes like ten times. So whenever she would come over about nine o'clock, I'd begin to say at ten o'clock, you've got to go. Because nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. <laughs> so we did that not because we were prudes or anti-whatever. We did it because we knew if we didn't set boundaries, we'd cross them. And that's another reason why we did short engagement because, you know. <laughs> She's blushing up in the front row. She doesn't know what I'm going to say up here. <laughs> so. so let's continue on. Now, Paul throws out a third love killer, which is kind of interesting. It seems out of place. If you're, if you're a Bible student of the Bible and you're reading, okay, sexual immorality, 
lust, all that. I get it. But why does he throw greed out there? I mean, that seems out of place, doesn't it? Like, okay, Paul's like, don't do it until you're married. God's for it, but he right place. But what does greed have to do with immorality? Well, many scholars have researched this idea. And basically, greed means you want to take. So those who were immoral physically are also wanting to take in other areas as well. So here's the thing. We talked about last week how bitterness is a gateway sin that leads to other stuff. Well, if you are lax in your sexuality, be careful because it's easy to be lax in other areas. If you don't have control in this area, it will bleed on to other areas of your life. And I know we don't like hearing that, but the Bible says avoid greed. Anybody ever study about John Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller in school? He was an amazing man as far as business, and we can learn a lot about his business. He, he started the Standard Oil Company, and he was the first billionaire in America. And to think about the early 1900s to be a billionaire, many people, financial people, say that he was the wealthiest man in modern time. And whenever someone, a reporter, whoever asks Rockefeller, how much money is enough, you know what he said? Just a little bit more. How much money is enough? Enough, just a little bit more. And he was a billionaire at, in the early 1900s. So here's the thing. The thing with greed is you always want just a little more. It doesn't satisfy. And that's why, if you'll just take the chart home and look at it, if you go after true love, it satisfies. Lust can never satisfy. And the world is craving intimacy, but they're not getting it because they're doing it against the, the way God designed it. And if you want to know how fully enjoy a satisfying marital life, listen, Christians should have the best marriage life ever. Because we know the owner's manual. We know how God designed it. And if we just follow him, it's great. All right, number four, how to walk in love. Your talk should match up to your walk. Now, verse four, I say with a little bit of a smile, because for those of you who work in the marketplace, you hear this every single day. And I'm going to get some ahas, but listen to what Paul says. Filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. And he says, you know, don't, that's, that's not going to help your love life with God or with others. So uh, a little background on myself. I spent a little stint in a car lot. And uh, it was a small season in my life, but I learned so much about the marketplace. Anybody, I know a few people work in car lots, but you ever hear the men talk in car lots? I mean, it's unbelievable. At least the one I worked at. I'm not saying every car lot's this way. But there were married men, and whenever an attractive woman walked by, the married men would be calm. Check that out. And, and, <laughs> and they would look at me to see if I'm looking or not. And I remember there was this one guy, his name was Jay. All the other men would be checking out the women, cursing, swearing. But Jay didn't because Jay was committed to his wife. He was committed to Christ. And to this day, he's still at that same car lot being a missionary right where he's at. And when Paul, when Paul breaks this down, uh, filthiness, avoid filthiness, this would be, to say it in modern day language, it's saying don't have a potty mouth. Because that's not going to attract anybody to God. If you say that I believe in Jesus and yet filth comes out of your mouth, yeah, right, the church is full of hypocrites, is right? That's what people are going to say. Foolish talking. This is, in the original language, it's where we get our word moron from. So Paul says, listen, don't. Speak in such a way that people will think you're a moron. Because God wants your, your speech to be what? Seasoned with salt? Filled with light? So if 
filthiness is coming out of your mouth, is anyone going to be drawn to God? Probably not. Coarse jesting. Now, let me explain what that means. This does not mean you cannot tell jokes. You know, I think God has a rich sense of humor and we should tell good jokes. But what this is, this, this is saying in the original language, it's kind of like this. You ever been around someone that no matter what you talk about, they always turn the conversation downward? You know, you could be talking about the wallpaper and like, oh, wallpaper. And it was just like, no matter what you talk about, they throw out innuendos. And it's just like, come on. I mean, it's like, it's like, where's your mind? Is it in the gutter? And Paul says, listen, if you're walking in love, the conversation, you need to turn it upward, not downward. Because we're followers of Christ and we're to be salt and light. We're not to put out the fire. We're to kindle the fire and stoke it. But here's the antidote. Now, this is so beautiful. I love the scripture when you go through it. The antidote to all this stuff we're talking about. And I always say, if it seems a little heavy, it's going to get positive. Just hang with God's word. But he says, instead of all this, practice thanksgiving. Now, here's the thing about it. Okay, This, this is such a easy way to think about it. When I'm after lust, I want, I want, I want. I'm never happy. I'm never satisfied. And I'm never thankful. You ever, you ever do something really nice to someone and they never say thank you? You know, if they're a person walking in love, they're the most grateful. Thank you so much. If they're all about themselves, they won't, they'll never say thank you. Just a side note. Um, but whenever you're thankful, it turns the attention off of yourself and back onto God and an encouragement to others. Because lust takes, but love gives. So here's, here's the thing. How many people have lost really important things in their life because of lack of thankfulness. Now, think about how many of us have lost jobs because we weren't grateful for the job. We had a bad attitude and we got fired or whatever happened. Not always, but sometimes that happens. How many marriages have ended because one partner wasn't thankful? They left. They said, I don't, I'm leaving you for this other person. And they weren't thankful. I mean, it's so simple, but if you can develop a heart of thankfulness... It will minimize a lot of the temptations that Satan will throw your way. Just have a thankful heart. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm thankful for you. There you go. You've already got brownie points for the day. <laughs> so it brings up a tough question. And I know some of you are asking this question. What about, for those of us who are messed, messed it up, is there hope for me? And the answer is absolutely yes. Verse 5, when you read verse 5, it can sing a little hard. Because it talks about no fornicator, unclean, covetous man has any inheritance. Now, what this is talking about is not someone who commits a sin, but this is talking about a person who lives in a lifestyle of sin. So that, that clears it. Because when you read that, you're like, oh, man, I'm, there's no hope for me. Well, the thing about it is Christians don't live in lifestyles of sin. Because if you've turned from sin and turned towards God, yeah, you can backslide, but you can't stay there for a lifetime. And First John clarifies that. He says, he who is born of God does not sin. And in the Greek, it's a continual tense. You can't live in a lifestyle of sin if you're truly a Christian. So a lot of people worry about what about those who lose their salvation? And my thing is, were they ever really following Christ if they're trying to chase after a lifestyle of sin? I think part of our challenge in the American church is we preach an easy gospel where if you just pray this prayer, you're good. But we don't preach repentance. And if you notice, Jesus' message was repent and believe the good news. John the Baptist's message, the same thing. So we've got to have a balance of truth. Be aware of one-sided truth. I'll give you an example. Let's say, um, 
let's say Frederico over here is a great man. And he loves his family. He loves his kids. And I, I can tell you all this good stuff. But there's something about him you don't know. He's actually, uh, he's actually someone that um, is a bank robber. He's getting ready to commit a crime tomorrow. But you don't know that side about him. And the thing about it is, is if we look at one-sided truth, we could be led astray. And that's why in the Bible it presents a balance of grace and truth. Amen. All right, let's continue on. Finally, if I really want to walk in love, not only do I avoid the counterfeits the world is throwing at me, but I don't get swept away with the passing world. Verses 6 and 7 says, let no one deceive you. So does that mean Christians, even well-meaning Christians, can be led astray? Absolutely. And that's why we've got to be careful who we put in our influences. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have unsaved friends. We do. We, that's how we're going to reach them. But in your circle of friends, those who influence you, be careful who you put in that inner circle. Because they can so easily influence you. Talk to the men. A lot of times with guys, we're real competitive. So be careful who you're competitive with. Because you may be competitive about the wrong things. Amen? And something I, I joke around with my wife, and this is a stereotype, it's not always true, but as a whole, women are often easily influenced by other women. You ever notice that when you're upset, you get on the phone, you call another woman, your husband did what? And, you did, did, did. and if you're not careful, if someone in the inner circle is not following Christ, they can lead you in a path that is not right. So ladies and gentlemen, be careful who's in your inner circle. Because God has a great plan for you, but Satan also has a plan to hijack you. He doesn't want you to experience love, God's satisfying, amazing love. He doesn't want that. But you know what? God does. Jeremiah 2, verse 13, if you'll write this in your notes, it says, For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So the prophet Jeremiah says, The people are trying to get water to quench their thirst. But instead of going after me, they're drinking out of the waters of the well, the waters of the world. And the problem with the waters of the world is they never satisfy. You keep your, your thirst. It's like salt water. You, you can drink it, but it doesn't truly satisfy your thirst. In 1 John two fifteen through 17, to kind of summarize this message, the apostle says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. And this is not talking about the people of the world. This is talking about the things that are against God. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And listen to this verse. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So here's your take-home truth. Let's kind of summarize this. And I want you guys not to leave feeling like, wow, but I want you to leave feeling God's got a better plan. And some of us may have walked the way of the world for far too long and went after counterfeits. But if you're honest with yourself, you weren't satisfied. I wasn't satisfied. But if you go after God's love, that's the only thing that can truly satisfy you. We don't have to go after the wells of this world anymore, but we can drink from the Lord, the living water. We can taste and see that he is good. Here's your take-home truth. Model God's true love to a world full of cheap imitations. So... We have, um, we have some singles in here, and my advice for you is just to follow Christ. If, if it's his will for you to get married, he's got someone great, but along the way to the path of that great marriage, Satan's going to throw some counterfeits. 
Instead of Mr. Right, he's going to send some Mr. Right Nows. Instead of Mrs. Right, he's going to send some... But don't, don't keep your eye focused. And for those of us who are married, and for those of us who have, for those who do have children, whether you have children or not, model the love of Christ. Because marriage is a symbol of Christ and his relationship to the church. So do you model it? One of the greatest gospel presentations is a husband and wife that's on fire for the Lord and that love each other. So let's model it by the way we live. Let us pray together. Father, your word is powerful and your word is special. And Father, we realize like just going to a doctor and getting a checkup, sometimes we hear things that we didn't expect. But God, the good thing is you're the great physician and you're the only one who can truly heal us. And Father, I pray that everyone would walk away from here not discouraged but encouraged. I pray that walk away inspired that God has a greater plan than this world could offer. The world will offer things that pass away quickly. But those things don't satisfy. They're left wanting more. But true love, God's love, it's the only thing that can quench the thirst of our souls. So right now with no one looking around and everyone in a spirit prayer, would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, you know what, I need to model God's love more to those around me in my marriage, in my singleness, in, in, in the school I go to, in the workplace. I'm around people like you mentioned. People that say things that turn the conversation downward. But I want to be salt and light in a world that is so much in need of truth. That's you. Raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand with you. Father, you see our hands uplifted. Help us to be salt and light. To not just say the right things, but to live them. And Father, for others, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for this, but if you've fallen for the counterfeits of the world, if you believe the world's lies that you've seen on television or whatever, and today through God's word, you realize that God has a better plan, just right where you're at, say, Father, forgive me where I've taken the bait of the world. And Father, help me go after what is true love, the love that lasts forever, not cheap counterfeits that are here today, gone tomorrow, things that leave me empty, but true love. And if there be one here that has never prayed to receive Christ, right where you're at, if you're willing to believe the gospel and turn from your past and turn toward a better way, a living way, right where you're at, to say something like this, Jesus, I need you right now. I need you to step out of heaven and to be king in my heart. I pray that you would forgive me where I have fallen short of you in so many ways. Jesus, I, I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. Please give me a brand new life. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you. We give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, this time if you would please stand. We have our closing song. During this time, if you need to make a decision, uh, Miss Judy will be at the front, Adam and myself. We'd love to pray with you. If you have uh, a decision to make, uh, if you have a family member you want to pray for, or if there's just something in your life that you've struggled with and you just want God's help with, we'll be here to pray for you. Respond as we sing.